a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus told the disciples a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that uh, parable that Kendall just read, you know, Jesus, it's a strange parable. It's, it's um, very odd characters in these parables. Sometimes Jesus will lay down <clears throat> these stories that just defy what you expect. And this is one of them because the judge, who's the central character of the story is unjust, so it's an anti-hero, it's an oxymoronic character. And what I want to do first in this sermon is sort of like an English seminar, is dive into the parable itself and look at the characters and then figure out like what the, what the parable really is about, and then hopefully it will dive home into our lives. So um, Jesus says right off the bat, it's about prayer and the need to pray persistently and consistently, and, uh, but I think it's also about something else, which I'll get to in a second. But first, uh, the, 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 the two characters that are uh, in the parable, and the first one's the judge. The, Jesus calls him an unjust judge, which means that he just is a, a judge who admits he's totally unfit for his office. That's what judges do. They administer justice, and he's unjust. Um, He says he has no care for people. He doesn't respect God. Uh, He doesn't think about the welfare of the people that come through his courtroom. He doesn't think about right or wrong. There's no no concern for justice. Um, He only cares about himself. So, again, you know, for somebody called Your Honor, terrible job um, qualifications. So it should be jarring, this um, characterization. Be like a a policeman who has no respect at all for the law, or a minister who's completely atheistic, or um, like a Sherpa who's afraid of heights or something. Uh, So it it, it doesn't work. So the second character, and sometimes if you've read this parable before, it's it's named this, um, it's, it's the widow, and she's often called the importunate widow. Not unfortunate, but importunate widow. And that, that means to be persistent, but not just persistent, but 
like persistent uh, to the degree of, of major annoyance uh, and, and irritation. Like a, think of a whining three-year-old who just is whining and whining and whining and whining and whining, wanting what he wants uh, over and over and over again. I mean, you might think that, you know, she shows up in his courtroom and says, grant me justice right now against my opponent. And then he, she follows him to the gym afterwards and barges in on his whatever he's doing, his hot yoga, and says, I need justice, and then goes to the bar where he's meeting his cronies afterwards, and then later at night rapping on his, uh, his door, grant me justice. So um, one thing that is important in this is to know that um, in Jesus' time, widows were like the most powerless of the powerless. There were a bunch of distressed classes, uh, but Jesus, but widows were like the most powerless. And the, the Hebrew law had in its um, provisions, provisions for the powerless. So there, there was, uh, there's a way that the judge should have immediately granted this woman her, her, her justice against her opponent, and yet he didn't. Not until she just wore him out, and she didn't want to be—he didn't want to be bothered anymore. So you've got these two characters, and then you have what I think that the major element of the parable is really about, and that's justice. That's justice. Um, so, like the judge wants uh, the the widow wants the judge to grant her justice. Jesus calls the judge unjust. Um, he finally breaks down and grants her justice, and then Jesus says, like, if the unjust judge would do that, won't God grant justice to his people? So I want to think about what is, the, what is it saying to us in this parable and in our lives? Well, we think about justice in a macro kind of way, don't we, in, in big terms, justice uh, as a concept. And people, um, people are in, interested in justice. Uh, you think just about what you watch on television or on Netflix, or if you're if you're watching a movie or reading a book. A lot of it has to do with crime and punishment, or uh, somebody who's been wrong that needs to be right. So much of the storylines revolve around justice. Um, th- that's why I think there are so many reality TV shows about actual actual courtrooms. You've got Judge Judy, you've got Hot Bench, and you've got People's Court. So. This is an undocumented social commentary that I, I can't prove, but it's my guess that the older a person gets, the more that person watches Judge Judy. So just, just do some research on your own. Uh, raise your hand if you're over 60 and watch Judge Judy. No, don't do that. So, um, but, but it starts early on, too. I remember when I, or my daughter, who's now fourth year, was um, maybe seven or eight, she was made a compelling case for our family uh, to join the Goat Justice League. Did you know that goats had a Justice League? You probably did know that goats have a Justice League. We didn't know that goats had a Justice League. We don't have goats. We live in the city. We thought about joining the Goat Justice League to help out goats. Uh, goats need justice too. So I guess whatever. Um, so. Uh, I'll say one thing macro uh, about justice that uh, that should be obvious, but I want to say it, is obviously the world's rife with injustice. And um, there are 
uh, times when it's clearly important to be on the right side of justice. As I just said, the law in it, the God's law has a provision for the poor, a provision for the marginalized. It's an integral part of God's heart. And we live in a world where justice is ever, injustice is everywhere. And when we can be called to play a part uh, in securing justice, especially uh, for those who are powerless, that's a good thing. Um, when I was a kid in elementary school, I went to a public elementary school. I don't think anybody does this anymore, but we always started the day by doing the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America. That, I don't think that happens anymore. I don't even know if you know what the Pledge of Allegiance is. Do you know what the Pledge of Allegiance is? Do you say the Pledge of Allegiance? There's a, okay, all right, there's, a, there's some yes over there. It's becoming an interactive sermon. This is fun. And, uh, but how does it end, right? One nation under God indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, right? So we, this is part of our DNA as, uh, as American people. We, we talk about the need for justice for all. However, that can be a flight away from what's actually happening in your life because where justice really kicks in is where you are being wronged by somebody. It could be your husband or your boyfriend or it could be your teacher or your boss or your neighbor um, or somebody in, you know, who lives across the hall. Your life, like my life, is filled with conflict, uh, with people. <laughs> and you, 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 there's something where you've been wronged, you feel, and you want to, it to be rectified. And you want someone to come in and rectify it for you. I and mean, it's just like, this is in our nature from early on. Little children will, um, they have to make sure that the dessert slices are exactly the same in the siblings or else um, the justice alarms goes off. And this is, you have something going on right now and probably millions of things where you are wrangled up in your head, own head about justice and you're like the widow um, the widow, you notice, this isn't a macro um, uh, philosophizing about justice. It's about a single widow who wants to get justice from her opponent. We also are not told by Jesus if that widow is legit, if like her claim is legit. It might not be. It might not be. We just know that she wants it, and she's all up in her head about it. Um, what I, I want to say two things about it as it relates to us. The first is that when we are in our heads about something we want so badly, we're generally short-sighted. We're myopic. Um, you know, myopia is, technically it's when you're, you can't see, you're nearsighted, so you, you fix it with glasses. But spiritual myopia is when you are, um, all you can see is your own perspective in a thing. And you can only see, like, what's right there in front of your nose. And it's obvious to you, uh, but you're blind to, in this case of whatever you're dealing with, you're blind to this teeming universe of, factor, of factors which impinge on the case, which you can't see, and maybe from a different perspective. Um, this is part of our, um, our, our DNA of original sinners. We are short-sighted. Uh, I, I like the way that the writer Anne Lamott summarizes the, what I'm trying to say about this, this thing of myopia when she quips. My mind is like a bad neighborhood that I try not to go into alone. 
Don't go in there. And if you have to go in there, take somebody else who can see things from a different perspective. Or just don't go in there at all. And then when she, uh, when we're, we're also so hyper-focused on making sure that this person is punished for what they've done wrong or brought to justice, uh, we get our opponent over there. Uh, Lamott, I think, interestingly says, you can safely assume that you have created, created God in your own image when it turns out that he hates all the same people that you do. What a coincidence. So that's the first thing that I want to say. We're, we're myopic, myopic. Second thing is better than that um, and truer than that even. And you'll, you know this from your own experience. It's that even when, even when justice is satisfied, you're not satisfied. Even when the demands of justice are satisfied, it doesn't really satisfy you in the issue on the deepest level. I mean, there's, it's, it's good. I'm glad we have justice. We need right and wrong, and we need people who are wrongdoers to be punished. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that your desire to make sure that person gets some kind of comeuppance, when that happens, it doesn't actually help you in the deepest possible way. I mean, you know that scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. It doesn't satisfy our deepest needs. Um, there's a, there is a Netflix series that's out, and um, it, this is, I was told today I did a spoiler alert So um, at the 11, so spoiler alert, but I'm not changing my sermon. So... <laughs> Um, it's called Unbelievable, and it is uh, about, it's a true story, it's based on a true story about a young woman who was assaulted, a crime was committed against her, and she went to the police, and um, she reported the crime, and it was horrific, and there, unfortunately there was no corroborating evidence, there were no witnesses, and so the, the crime um, was dismissed, the case was dismissed by the police. And so this young woman had to continue to suffer both the consequences of, of, being, of being assaulted as well as the, um, the, the, the lack of justice or the lack of any kind of it you know, being made right. But years later, then unbeknownst to her, these two other detectives in a whole different part of the country um, picked up the scent of a crime that was similar and they picked her case back up without even telling her and they tracked down the, the, the guy and they got him and, and justice was, the man was brought to justice and there's a scene in which the woman is talking to these two detectives and this is what she says out of nowhere I hear about these two people, you in some completely other part of the state, our country, looking out for me and making things right. And more than anything else, more than him being locked up, more than the money I got, it was hearing about you guys. And that just changed things completely. That's getting down to what we need. More satisfying than the criminal being locked up or the money she got from the suing for damages, 
was knowing that she had people who were looking out for her, who were for her. Now, in the parable, that's finally what happened. Finally, the unjust judge looked out for the widow. And then Jesus says that if the unjust judge looks out for the widow for all the wrong reasons, how much more will our loving God, our just God, look out for his own people, look out for you, look out for you and whatever you are dealing with right now? So the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, we say, with liberty and justice for all. Now, I'm going to close with a twist on this, and maybe you have seen it coming. The irony about talking about justice from the Christian perspective is, of course, that justice is finally not served in this world. Because were we to stand, any single one of us, before a just God and plead the case of our own righteousness, we would all be locked up. As the psalmist says, and we sing sometimes, if you, O Lord, kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could stand before you? God, who is our judge, does deliver a just sentence to us. As he says in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. The just sentence from the just judge is death for sin. It's just that when this sentence is delivered, justice is then diverted. And that's the gospel, friends. What happens in our story, the Christian story, is that the judge gets up, delivers the sentence from behind his bench, gets up, goes around outside of his bench down to where the authorities are. His robe is taken off. He's stripped of his clothes. He's shackled. And he's led outside, up a hill, outside of the city, and nailed to a cross. He fulfills the death sentence that he has given from his own tongue himself. So in the end, there is justice for none, but there is liberty for all.